seated this morning. You may be wondering, it's like, hey, that doesn't look like Pastor Chris. Um, I thought he was supposed to be starting a series today. He was supposed to be starting a series today, but he is actually home sick, all right? He actually has been battling a fever the past couple of days, um, and uh, so I got the last-minute call, and uh, we're going to see how this works, all right? I'm going to be shooting from the hip today, so you might have to dodge and duck a couple times. I just want to give a disclaimer. Anything that's said in this message today is uh, null and void. We're not even recording this sermon, okay? Um, yeah, it might be good. You never know. Might is the key word. Um, now, if you could, just keep Chris in your prayers. Um, I think he's doing a little bit better. Um, he, he had a fever last night. He sent me a text this morning. He was going to try to give it a go. I said, man, it hasn't been 24 hours. Stay away. Um, none of us want to get sick. And, but I think Becky and the girls are now coming down with it. So if you could just pray for the Standridge household, that would be awesome. Um, he was going to be starting a series called Advance today. So we're going to be pushing that to next Sunday. He's going to be preaching through the first couple chapters of the book of Acts. It's actually the first church in the New Testament that started and as we all know, man, that church just turned the world upside down. It spread like wildfire. And so we're going to investigate why, why that was, why that church was so impacting and so powerful. And so we're going to look into that um, in, in the coming weeks. I also just, just a real quick side note, um, all the votes and the, the tallies have come in in regards to the lip sync battle. And I just want to give the results. Um, yours truly, I won. I won. Just so you know. And uh, if you haven't had a chance to vote on who your favorite was in the lip sync battle, um, it's too late. Sorry. The votes are in. It's been tallied. And uh, nice try, other contestants. But I smoked you. I smoked you. All right. That was fun. Um, so here I am today, like, thinking of, okay, what's, what's one sermon? Man, I usually speak in series because we're usually studying books of the Bible. And so my thought process went to like, what, what can I just do? What message, God, do you want me to give for just one Sunday? Uh, what do you want, Father? And, and so my mind traveled all kinds of different journeys of like, um, there's some favorites that I have in my mind, you know, like things that annoy me about Christians, you know, maybe I could focus on that for a Sunday. Um, you know, gosh, there's, I, I'm, I'm going to stop there. All right. But my mind went to, like, what do you do with one sermon? And immediately I was reminded, and I reminded myself, and I like to remind Grace Church, why do we do this? Like, that, I go there often in my head. Like, why do I believe what I believe? Why do you come to a service like this um, on a Sunday morning? when the weather is amazing and you could be doing many other things. You know, why? So that, that question, that three-letter word, why, enters my mind often. And so this morning, I want to look at why we believe the Bible. I thought, man, that'd be good. Let's just take one Sunday and let's talk about why we believe the Bible. Why do we put so much trust, so much authority in a book? Why do we believe the Bible? How do we know that the Bible is true? How do we know? There's, there's other religious books out there, so what's so different about the Bible? 
And man, those are great questions this morning. And I hope uh, I can shine just a little bit of light as to why we believe the Bible. Why I have placed my faith in the Bible. Why my wife has placed her faith in the Bible. And why we are leading our boys to put their faith in the Bible. Like, am I just brainwashed, you know, man? My parents just taught me this, and so I'm going to teach my kids just because that's what I was taught, and I'm like in this endless cycle of religion, and I can't get out of it. You know, that's a possibility. Maybe I'm brainwashed. Maybe I'm just part of the system. Or maybe, just maybe, this book, the Holy Bible, reveals God to humankind, to the human race, and we can know God. And we can intimately be in a relationship with God because He has revealed Himself to us through this book. People have always had a huge appetite for information throughout history. Huge appetite for information. And in our day and age, we have endless amounts of information at our fingertips. Right? We have cell phones, we have televisions, iPods, iPads, droids, websites, books, blogs, magazines, newspapers. I mean, if you want information, you can get it immediately. Some of you are probably reading the newspaper right now, right? You can get information immediately. People also, they want to be in the know, but they also want to be known, right? Like, All of us are little celebrities on our Facebook page, right? We always kind of like, how many likes did I get for that picture? That post, was that cool? Um, Our Twitter accounts, you know, how many people are following us? So we're all little celebrities. We want to be in the know and we want to be known. So with with all this information around us, I just want to ask a simple question. This God that we were singing about that is unchangeable, he's amazing, the great I am. Remember he was asked, what is your name? And God says, I am. That's my name. I am everything you need. I am able. I am. This God, how does He reveal Himself to us? How how do we know Him? How do we know God? Does, Does He speak through a holy man like a prophet or like a guru, you know? Does He speak through a man like me and that's how you know Man, you, you, you got to trust me because I'm going to tell you everything about God? Ah, I'm sketched out by that, okay? I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem reliable. Does God speak to us on the inside through our inner spirit? And man, if we can just become one with ourself, and I can just clear my mind, and ah, God will, he will just show me? That seems weird too. Maybe God doesn't even speak at all. Because you believe God could care less. God could care less about me. Maybe you don't even believe that God exists. So I ask the question again, how does this God that we were singing about, this God that we pray to, this God that we worship, how does He reveal Himself to us? When we read the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, we see that God reveals Himself to us using words. We, we serve a God that speaks. There are many people that serve all kinds of different gods that don't speak. Okay, We serve a God that speaks. Over ten times in the first chapter of Genesis, it says, and I quote, God said. 
God reveals Himself through words. That's the creation account. God said, let there be light. God said, let there be a moose. You know, God said, let this happen and let this happen. God spoke and it happened. He speaks. We serve a God who speaks. We serve a God who speaks. And the cool thing is, He speaks to us. Like, He speaks to you. He speaks to me. Our relationship with God starts as He unveils information to us about Himself. As we learn about who this God is. And gosh, we're never going to be able to put God in a test tube and figure Him out. The more you learn, the more you realize, I don't know God. Oh my gosh, He is so amazing and so big. And and it just makes you more and more hungry to know Him. So our relationship with God starts as He unveils information to us about Himself. First of all, God reveals Himself, all right? This is going to kind of sound like a lecture, and I'm trying not to. I'm kind of a nerd, so just bear with me. But God reveals Himself to us in what theologians call general revelation. It's a theological term. God reveals Himself to us through creation. All right? The Psalms say that the heavens declare the glory of God. I don't know about you. I don't know if you saw it last Sunday, but as I was driving in early in the morning, coming to church, okay, I was just going over it. We live out in 510, uh, just going over some of those dirt roads, those hills. And the La Plata's, you know, the snow cap, there was clouds above it, there was a fog, and the sun was shining right through, right on the La Plata's. And I'm driving, I had like front row seat watching this, and uh, I was blown away. I'm driving, and I actually started driving with my knee. And this is weird, but I started clapping. I was like, way to go, God! Yeah! Like in my car. I just started cheering, clapping. But I was just so moved by like, gosh, this creation is amazing. It's so beautiful. It's awesome. God is powerful. The Psalms say that the heavens declare the glory of God. In my nerdness, I was researching some space stuff, you know, and looking at all the galaxies and stars. And long story short, to keep from boring you, like we are just like the smallest thing on the map when it comes to the universe, right? Like it's so vast. So, man, it's just... We, we, we have the most powerful telescopes in the history of mankind and we can't even reach the end of the universe. Like it, The heavens declare the glory of God. General revelation is also what's referred to as common grace. Okay, consider this with me for just a second. The air that we breathe um, is common grace. So people that love God and people that even hate God still get to breathe. Like, our God is so good. He's so loving. If He wanted to, He'd be like, oh, atheist? Oh, yeah? You don't have any more oxygen, right? But He gives them oxygen. He gives them air to breathe. He's kind. He's good. He's loving, even to His enemies. Gravity, that's common grace. God is good. He keeps us from just falling off this ball that we're on. Food, He causes rain. He causes the sun. He causes the temperature to be just perfect, right? We're just 
far enough away from the sun that we don't burn up, but close enough that we can survive and grow stuff. Um, Rain, water. Sinners and saints both enjoy common grace. Common grace is also, we all have a conscience. All right? God's common grace allows cities to prosper. He allows families to grow, societies to succeed, and nations to grow. Can I just give a quick reminder that our nation is so prosperous because we were built on the teachings and the foundations of God? Can I just give us a quick reminder about that? That's why we're so prosperous, church. That's why we're still reaping the benefits of how we were founded. God's common grace allows nations to grow. And because of common grace, both sinners and saints have a conscience, okay? So even those who totally deny God, they know, the Scripture says, that they know it's a good thing to give gifts to your children. Like someone that completely ah, denies God and hates God will still say it is wrong to abuse a child. They have a conscience. They know right from wrong. Consider those that we, we call uncivilized. They have a conscience. Uh, maybe a, a tribal member in the deepest, darkest jungle, he may kill a fellow tribe member, and he runs and he hides knowing it was wrong. Every one of us as human beings, we have a conscience. We know right from wrong. All the goodness of God, all the kindness of God towards mankind, the Scripture says is, lead, is intended, rather, to lead people to repentance. Man, Satan is a master at, at distorting and trying to twist so that we view God in the wrong light. But the Scriptures make it very clear that God is good, He's kind, He's just, He's perfect, He's holy. And it's actually the kindness of God that leads men and women and children to repentance. Romans 2.4 tells us that. It's His kindness. I've talked to many of you in this room who have come from different religions, different backgrounds, some from you know, a non-religious home. And I'm amazed at the overwhelming response when I ask you, what was it that brought you to Jesus? What was it that made you turn to faith? And the overwhelming response is love. Love. I just knew immediately when I looked at Jesus Christ, it was different. It's not rules and legalism. It's a relationship. Man, love is what drew me to Christ. It was His kindness. It was His goodness. God also reveals Himself to us through what theologians call special revelation. Okay, so we have general revelation. You can know, you can just walk out and go, man, those stars are amazing. There is something bigger than me out there, right? You can know that something exists. There is something more powerful than I am. But then there's also special revelation. People can know God is good and true, but that knowledge alone is not sufficient for someone to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't know the gospel just by looking at the stars. To know that Jesus came to earth, that He died, that He was buried, and that He rose again, that is special revelation. And that's God revealing Himself to us through the divinely inspired, infallible, inerrant 
Word of God. That's how we know about Jesus Christ. That's how we know about the Gospel. So let me ask you, what is the Bible? What are the Scriptures? Scripture is God speaking His truth, revealing Himself to us using human words. The Holy Spirit of God inspired the writings of this book. He inspired the writings of the Bible. And let me just share a few facts with you, okay? I think on the back of your bulletin, I'm going to steal Chris's lines. Okay, that was for his sermon, but you can use it for my sermon, all right? Write some notes. Just a few facts about this book. I, I believe it's very important to know why in the world do we put all this faith in this book? You, you need to know about this book. Why is this book so special? So the word Bible simply means book. So Holy Bible actually means Holy Book. The book was written in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and a little of it was written in Aramaic. And it was written over a time period of 1,600 years by more than 40 different authors from different ages, different backgrounds. Okay? So let me just... Uh, let me give you one more. And it was written on three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. So let me just give like a little comparison. Okay, this book was written by more than 40 different authors over a time period of 1,600 years. And they were on three different continents. They didn't have email. They didn't have Facebook. They weren't able to communicate with one another. It would be like 10 of us just going into separate rooms in this church and I gave you the instructions to write whatever you want to write about. And uh, you couldn't talk with anybody in the other rooms, and you just write whatever you want to write. And then we compile all your writings. It would sound like gibberish, right? It would make no sense. I would be writing about jalapeno poppers. You know, um, someone else would be writing about the Broncos. Someone else would be writing about dirt bikes. And it would just be like, this is a jumbled up mess. But yet more than 40 different authors different parts of the world over a time period of 1,600 years wrote what the Holy Spirit inspired them to write. And when you put it together, it makes perfect sense. Let me give just another comparison. There's other holy books that exist. The Koran was written by one dude. One man. The Book of Mormon was written by one man. One man can make up a lot of junk. Forty different men, three different continents, 1,600 years. This book is amazing. The Bible contains 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. So the Bible is actually a bunch of smaller books that make up one book. And the whole point of these books, when you dive into them, the whole point of all these smaller books within a big book is to show us that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now the Old Testament... It was a series of promises that God made. And the New Testament is the fulfillment of those promises and the anticipation of promises to be fulfilled at the second coming of Jesus Christ. We're living in a time period where we're still looking ahead 
at some of the promises that were made. Okay, They haven't been fulfilled yet. But most of the promises, uh, the prophecies in the Old Testament, they were fulfilled in the New Testament. Just a side note, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. Okay, It smokes every other book. It's the best-selling book of all time. The Bible was handwritten by human authors under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, the human authors, you're like, man, was it just a bunch of rich dudes conspiring? No. The authors include kings, some rich dudes, philosophers, some blue-collar fishermen, scholars, statesmen, poets. A doctor was involved in the writings. Uh, Once again, fishermen, even just common Average, everyday peasants. The Bible includes history, sermons, letters, songs, poetry, even love letters. Song of Solomon, we studied through that book. The Bible includes a ton of amazing detail. Genealogies, family trees, travel journals, population statistics, legal documents. Um, Let's see, incredible historical detail and even inventories of different kingdoms' wealth. There's no other book like the Bible because the Bible was written by both God and man. Sounds crazy, right? I believe it. It it, it wasn't co-authored. Okay, this is really important. It wasn't God and humans sharing ideas or God editing a book that humans wrote. God supernaturally prepared the authors of the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God. Every bit of it. The human authors wrote the Scriptures using their own personalities, their own circumstances. The words they wrote were the very words of God. God supernaturally guided the writers to write in such a way that we could know God's glory and that we would be able to come to the knowledge of salvation, which is the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The very words of the Bible, every part of the Bible, all of it was God-breathed. So we can't pick and choose what we like and what we dislike. The Scripture says all of it is inspired. Therefore, all Scripture is important And all of it is true. And that's why your pastor loves to study a book verse by verse. And we deal with, it forces me to deal with the things that are uncomfortable, right? It forces us to to look at the verses that, man, are hard to understand and don't make sense. And it just forces us to realize that all of it, all of it is important. Check out a few things that the scripture says about itself. Are you guys bored? You doing okay? All right. Um, 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says it's the very Word of God. Luke 16.29-31 says it's all we need to know God is the, is the Bible. Uh, Psalm 19.7 says it's perfect. The Bible says it's pure, it's true, it's powerful. Jeremiah 15.16 says it's food for our soul. Uh, Ephesians 6.17 says it's a sword. You're like, man, I am getting my tail kicked in life. It's because you don't know how to use a sword, son. You don't know how to use a sword. You're getting your butt kicked because you don't know how to use your sword. You've got you to get 
You've got to get trained. You've got to get in the book. You've got, you got to learn how to use your sword. It's a lamp to guide our life. And then, once again, many people have abused this, but in, it's like bookends. Okay? In the book of Deuteronomy and in the book of Revelation, the beginning and the end, it says it's not to be taken from or added to. God says, don't mess with my book. Don't mess with it. This book, okay, the Holy Bible, is unlike any other book in the entire world. In the pages of this book, God is revealing Himself to us, making Himself known to us. He's trying to speak to you. And we need to love the Word. We need to study the Word. And we need to allow the Word to transform our way of thinking, to transform our lives, to transform our philosophy of life. There is no other book like the Holy Bible. So, here's a question that's often asked. Does the Bible, does Scripture, does it contain errors or contradictions? Right? I don't follow that book because it has so many contradictions, so many errors. So does it contain errors? Does it contain contradictions? We believe the answer is no. Nope. Okay, all that the Bible teaches is truth from God, whether it's about earth whether it's about heaven, humans, God Himself, moral commands, promises, you know, anything else, it's, it's all true. It's all truth. Hebrews in the book of Titus tell us that God does not lie. It's against His very nature. He cannot lie. So He doesn't lie to us. Everything that God speaks is truth. And it's important to know this, and it's important to believe this. We who study the Bible, however are not perfect, okay? We're not faultless. So if there appears to be a contradiction in Scripture, my suggestion would be to dig a little bit deeper because the error is probably on our part. A couple guiding thoughts to remember, okay? This book, the Holy Bible, it's, it's not a science textbook. I think that's where people make huge mistakes when they approach the Bible, okay? It's a book that is revealing God to the human race. It's not a science textbook. So if you go to this book and you're trying to figure out the elements you know, that make up oxygen, you're going to be extremely frustrated because it's not a science textbook. It's a book that's revealing God to the human race. God gave us a brain. He, he wants us to learn and to explore. He told Adam and Eve in the very beginning, take care of the garden. Learn. Grow. Replenish the earth, right? <clears throat> so... He gave us a brain to figure out the other stuff. But when it comes to Him and who God is, this is the book you need to look to. The Bible's focus is on God and His relationship with humanity. The Bible is focused more on the one who created and why He created rather than when it was created. Does that make sense? Let me say that one more time. The Bible is focused more on the one who created, and why He created, rather than when it was created. It was Galileo that said, the Holy Ghost intended to teach us how to go to heaven, not how the heavens go. Consider this. The story of creation, okay? Widely debated, right? The story of creation is only a few pages of your entire Bible. So God wanted us to know that He created the earth. 
And then he moved on to more important matters. He said, I created it. Just know that. But let's talk about how you can be saved. Let's focus on Christ. You know, let's focus on more important things. So, so whether or not someone believes in an old earth or a young earth or whether the days of creation were a literal 24-hour days or not, how God, you know, like how did God make the heavens and the earth? These things should not be the deciding factor of whether or not someone is a true Christian. Okay, church, we've got to remember the essentials. I've talked about this before. There's essentials that we have to be unified on, that we have to believe, because the Bible is black and white on these essentials. It's essential that the Bible is our authority. Okay, it's essential that you're not an atheist. You have to believe in God if you want to have a relationship with God. It's essential that you believe God did create the heavens and the earth. We must be unified around those essentials, but I'm going to encourage this church, don't die on the hill of non-essentials. Okay, so what's a non-essential? A non-essential is exactly how old is the earth? Who knows, right? Do you know how old it is? No, you don't. You don't know. How old is the earth? Who really knows exactly how old the earth is? The Bible didn't tell us. So why in the world would I want to die on that hill? How did God create the heavens and the earth? How did it happen, Pastor Justin? The Bible says He spoke and it happened. That's all I know. That's all I got for you. He spoke and it happened. Okay, these types of issues are not absolutely necessary for salvation. They're not essentials. And I believe that we should have liberty to study, debate, explore, and even lovingly disagree and still be unified around the cause of Christ because we're not going to have answers for every question. That's why it's called faith, church. When we get to heaven, you get all the answers you need and that you want. I feel like I need to say, if there's any questions on that section right there, talk to me after services. Don't jump to any conclusions that are weird. Um, that's my disclaimer. But I, I guess maybe I'm just sick of seeing Christians die on the wrong hills. It's hugely frustrating. And it's actually a horrible testimony to those that really need Jesus. Um, let me give a few examples of the Bible's amazing accuracy, okay? The historical detail of the Bible is astounding. When it comes to the names of foreign kings in the Old Testament, when they compare it to like non-contemporary, non-biblical records, such as monuments and tablets, the Bible is accurate in every detail. In the 36 instances of comparison, okay, it's a total of like 183 uh, syllables. Okay, this is the nerdy section. It's truly remarkable, is what I'm saying. Man, when the, when the Bible gives historical detail, it's perfectly accurate. Uh, let me just give you an example of uh, like the city of Jericho. You remember the city of Jericho? The children of Israel marched around it. The walls came tumbling down. Many of you probably sang about it in Sunday school. The best archaeological reports say that Jericho was unoccupied or that the walls came down from about 1600 B.C. to about 1200 B.C. 
The Bible says that the walls came tumbling down in 1440 B.C. So that would be wrong if the city had already been destroyed, right? The Bible's wrong. They did some later excavations around the area and at a different part of the site, and a thick layer of ash containing grain was discovered. And they dated this ash using three different methods, and it showed a burn date of, you're not going to believe this, right, of 1440 B.C. Bam. Boom. Right? Let me just say this. Man, I dude, I have a computer. You know, I look at news reports and it's like, archaeologists have found something to disprove the Bible. You know, it's like, keep digging, fools. <laughs> you know, that's what I think. <laughs> keep digging because you, you're not looking at it right. The Bible is right, and archaeologists can be wrong. All right, that's kind of cool, but sometimes the questions come like, why are there so many different translations of Scripture? Have you gone to a Bible bookstore, and you're like, oh my word, man, there's so many choices. Like, where do I begin? Where do I start? Let me just talk about Bible translations for just a minute. First off, it's important to remember that the Bible has been translated many times throughout history. And the purpose of Bible translation was to allow people to read the Bible in their own language. That's why it's been translated, okay? Translations of Scripture are actually still happening today. There's, uh, man, some wonderful organizations like Wycliffe. Um, you've heard of Gideon's. They are still going into different countries that don't have a copy of a Bible in their own language, and they're translating the Bible into different languages. Many people have given their lives so that you can hold a Bible in your hand today. And church, I'm just trying to encourage you to how precious this book is. When you hold it, blood has been shed so that you can have this book in your hands today. Martin Luther and John Wycliffe are just two men who risked their lives to translate the Bible into German and into English. And then uh, William Tyndale. You've probably maybe purchased a Tyndale Bible. Um, he's another pioneer in Bible translation, and he was charged with heresy, and he was condemned to death because he translated the Bible into English. And according to the Fox's Book of Martyrs, he was tied to the stake, he was strangled by the hangman, and afterwards he was consumed with fire. He died simply because he wanted people to read the Bible. That's why he died. Many powerful kings and leaders have tried to destroy the Scriptures, but God's Word endures forever. And I hold a copy in my hand today. Right? In our country, dozens of English Bible translations are actively used today. And... and uh, I'm just going to give you a really kind of a simplistic teaching. It's just, I believe they fall into three categories. All right, so when you're looking to buy a Bible, they fall into three categories. So let me give you a few thoughts to consider when you're thinking about Bible translations. The first category is a word-for-word -word translation. This is a translation that took every word from the original Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic and they translated it in 
to English. It's a word-for-word translation. And my suggestion would be that you use a translation like this for in-depth studies. And when you're really digging deep and you're going in, you need to have a word-for-word translation. And and here's my recommendations. The best word-for-word translations are the King James Version. Okay, it's a it's the best-selling English translation is the King James Version. Another great translation is the ESV. It's an English Standard Version. The ASV, American Standard Version. And then um, the New King James Version, uh, the NKJV. Those are some great word-for-word translations. When you're really digging in deep, I would highly recommend you use one of those translations. The second category when you're thinking about Bible translations is thought-for-thought translations. Okay, these translations, they seek to find the best modern cultural equivalent that will have the same effects as the original, you know, that the original message had in its ancient cultures. So it's thought for thought. This is a little bit more for readability, and it's, it's, uh, I use a thought for thought translation. For example, the New Living Translation. This is what I use in the morning, my cup of joe, and man, I just, I want to get the thought. I'm not really dip diving in deep. I'm just, I just want to get the general thought of what's being um, spoken about in the passage. So some good translations is the NLT, the NIV, New International Version, and the CEV, which is the Contemporary English Version. These are thought-for-thought translations. And the third category is a paraphrased translation. Okay, The emphasis is readability in English. They pay less attention to specific word patterns in an attempt to capture the meaning of a certain passage. So examples of paraphrased translations are like the Message, uh, the Living Bible, and the Amplified Bible. Okay, So every translation has various strengths, various weaknesses. My, what I would like to say is that a student of the Bible should use multiple translations. That's, that's my suggestion to you. So have a couple of them open you know, on your, on your dinner table. Use multiple translations. And, and, and then let me just say, we shouldn't fight over translations. Many churches have crashed and burned be, over the battle of a translation. Man, I, I believe we should praise God for every good translation and trust God to use them to change lives. That's, that's my suggestion. And once again, I just like to say it's good to use a word-for-word translation when you're really diving in deep, okay? Also, when, when we're speaking about translations, I need to give just a warning about bad translations. A bad translation is one that seeks to undermine the very teachings of Scripture. An example would be the NWT. This is the New World Translation. And this is actually a Jehovah's Witness translation, and its goal was to eliminate the deity of Jesus Christ. Okay, There are some bad translations you need to stay away from. Um, the NWT is not a translation. Okay, Instead, it's a terrible fraud, full of dishonesty, and it's camouflaged as God's Word, but it's not even close. Okay, It's awful. Stay away from that one. Um, our goal at Grace... Right? Our goal is to follow the teachings of God's Word. It's not to follow a man. It's to follow God. It's to follow His Word. And when it says to do something, we, we try to do it. Okay, It's real simple. And when it says not to do something, we try not to do it. 
We're going to see a practical example of this here in just a few moments when, when Keith actually baptizes Caleb Dean. Okay, He's going to get baptized this morning. And, hey, why don't you guys go ahead and come on up and get ready to get baptized. Keith, Caleb, if you guys don't mind. Band, actually the band, if you guys could go ahead and make your way up too, that'd be cool. Um, go ahead and come on up. Hopefully it's not too distracting, church, but let me just let me say a few more things while they're making their way up, while they're getting ready. The Bible shows us that we're to be baptized after salvation. Okay? Baptism doesn't save us. It's not by works. Okay? But we see clear examples in the teachings of Scripture that we're to be baptized after we're saved. So we baptize people after they've made the decision to follow Jesus with their lives. Like everything we do here, the reason why we take communion, the reason why I'm preaching to you, the reason why we sing, the reason why we baptize, the reason why we lead people to salvation, you know, all everything we do here, we try to do it because we see clear examples in God's Word. We see that God says, hey, do this. This is good for you. This, this is going to help you know more about me. That's We try to follow the teachings of Scripture. And let me just say, we're not a perfect church. We've had to make adjustments. We've had to say, gosh, kind of got that wrong. you know. And we make adjustments and we make tweaks. Man, we're not perfect, but we're journeying with the Lord and we're following Him as best we can. So God reveals Himself to us through words and those words are contained in the Bible. We believe the Bible because the Bible has proven itself time and time again. This book has entered so many different cultures and has transformed lives and cultures and cities and countries. The best thing you can do, I mean, this is the best counsel I could give to any of you. You come in here and you're like, man, my life's a train wreck. The best thing you could do is to get into this book, is to read it, Study it, and you're like, gosh, that made no sense. Read it again. Read it again. Pray. Say, God, please, I know this is how you're going to reveal yourself to me. Show me, please, Father. Show me. Read it. Study it, and allow it to transform your life. This, the book, the Holy Bible, is unlike any other book in the entire world. In the pages, God is revealing himself to us. He's making himself known to us. So we need to love the Word, we need to study the Word, and we need to allow the Word to transform our way of thinking, our lives, and our philosophy of life. And let me say, we need to be doers of the Word. Okay? The American church, I think, is really good at studying the Bible. We've got so many Bible studies, we don't even know which one to go to because there's so many options. Study, 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 right? No. It's study and do. Study and do. Study and do. There's no other book like the Holy Bible. And, uh, man, I would encourage you to read it and to find out for yourself why this book is so amazing. Read it for yourself. Don't just take my word for it, okay? Read it for yourself. Let me close in prayer. Father God, thank you for this time. Um, once again, I just pray for Chris and Becky and their family. I just pray that you would heal their bodies, Lord, and help them to uh, man, just heal quickly from the sickness that they've been battling. And um, Lord, thank you for this time that we've been able to just look at your word and how amazing it is. And uh, man, this teaching this morning is just a small, small taste of 
um, you know, how your word has proven itself over and over and time and time again. I pray that people are encouraged by it. I pray that they're inspired to just dive into your word. And, um, and I just pray for those out here this morning that are broken, that are really struggling. I pray that they would make time even this afternoon, this evening, maybe in the morning with some coffee to just open up the pages. Maybe they don't know where to begin, Lord. Um, through this prayer, I just encourage them to begin in the book of John, um, in the New Testament. Uh, Psalms is great. Proverbs, right in the middle of the Bible. Um, those are great places to start. Uh, I pray that they wouldn't be afraid to ask questions and that you would use us as a church to just guide and to give proper counsel, Father. And uh, Man, thank you for Caleb as he's going to uh, be baptized here in just a few moments. And uh, he's just going public with his faith. And uh, he's showing us a, a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.